When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever dissecting Man United bouncing back after bouncing at Liverpool. Uh, They beat Real Betis in the Europa League 4-1 at Old Trafford, first leg of the last 16 tie. Suggestions, maybe, that the tie is effectively done. Maybe Eric Ten Hag will have a chance to rotate in the second leg, but he's not going to do that, is he, Rob? I'm not. I wouldn't do that either. Not with this lot. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, good. Obviously, loads better after laying the ghosts of Anfield to rest. Now for us, that was a. I think you know, we've spent days, haven't we, talking about that seven 0 result, and it hasn't stopped. And even last night, after United have just successfully beaten Real Betis four one. It was, oh, do you remember that they lost 7-0 the other day? Like, oh, So the world's had its pound of Manchester United flesh, hasn't it, Scott? Yeah, they've talked about it non-stop. I think now we can kind of move on. That was a thing. It happened. We accept it. We're always going to be reminded of it. I thought the boys played really well against Betis. Yeah, it seems like we will continually be reminding of it. My Twitter DMs and replies are all seven hog still. Also worth reminding that people who think Liverpool are on their way back are still seven points behind uh, Man United in the league. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. United play Southampton on Sunday and they need to continue uh, the revival in a sense. Uh, but you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. Watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube as well. Subscribe on that channel, please. We're hitting nearing a milestone. Please go over there and subscribe. The Promise and the Manchester United podcast is what you need to find. Like today's video, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us as well, and we'll be uh, dipping into them in future shows. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Today we'll be talking mainly about the Betis game. Bruno Fernandes, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, David De Gea, and we'll look ahead to the Southampton game on Sunday as well. Rob, in general, United needed to put in a performance. They did have a bit of a wobble after Betis scored their equaliser, which maybe could have been ruled out for handball, but let's not get hung up on that. But uh, they had a bit of a wobble, but they recovered after half time, And eventually, in the second half, I think they, they blew Betis away. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because I think they came out with the right attitude. I think they saw the first 20 minutes, they were on it, and it was all about, right, this is who we are. We're going to try and do this, and we're going to try and 
stretched the game in our in our favour. And obviously, Rashi's goal was fantastic, wasn't it? Top corner, blow pass, no chance with a goalkeeper. Um, and then, as you said, they had, uh, as I said, technically <laughs> a wobble. So it, it, you saw that when when they scored that goal. It, it was just a bit of kind of dis, um, dysfunction in the defence and coverage on that side, which allowed uh, Perez to get that shot off. And it's one all, and you saw the jitters for a few minutes, didn't you? And they kind of went into half time. I think we were all pretty happy to hear that whistle, weren't we? I think the players were as well. But what have we said all season long? You know, we didn't say it at Anfield, but we've said it everywhere else. At half time, Eric Ten Hag sorts out problems, and he sorted them out, and they came out in the second half. And that was as devastating as the second half as we've seen Manchester United this season, I think. I think they were really, really conclusive and aggressive. And they played good football on the deck. They passed the ball well. And they did all the off-ball work as well. So Real Betis, a good side that said goalless draw with Real Madrid the other day. A team knocking on the door of the Champions League in Spain. Manchester United took care of them pretty pretty comfortably at the end of it. And I think that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted to be able to do this show this morning, the day after the night before, and say, yeah, they got back on the horse, bounced back performance, 4-1 in the first leg of a European tie. Don't think you could ask for more. Yeah, I I asked for 2-0. You did. And actually, two two 2-0s. I asked for 2-0 on that Thursday night and then 2-0 against Southampton at the weekend. And I would have been quietly happy with that just uh getting back on the horse in a sense but it could have been for forgive me for using the word set it could have been seven but they they blew so many chances in the second half yeah uh, nice to see Valt Veghorst finally get a goal because it looked yeah, I know he scored at Forest that was his first old traffic goal you could see the relief in his face mm. and his entire body the way he celebrated that he's like he he lost control um, but they there were so many chances that they could have put away. Anthony could have had a hat trick, or he could mm-hmm. have had an assist. There was four players who went through on the goalkeeper, and he t- decided to chip it over the bar. Got a bit of stick for that, but Anthony also with a, an absolute belter of a goal. His trademark uh, turn in, get a bit of space on the left foot, and put it in the far corner. Yeah, that that's obviously his FIFA move when he's at home on the sofa. He's like playing himself. And he's like, right, what I'll do is I'll get it on my left foot. And as soon as I cut in, it's going in that top corner. At least that's where I'm going to try and put it. So that's his move, isn't it? So as soon as he does that, there's probably no one better in the league or in, in, in English football that can kind of cutting on that left and put it in that top corner. Um, maybe a little bit samey sometimes, try and do other things, Anthony, but we'll leave it at that. I think what we did see yesterday, and I was so delighted for Valt for his goal, because I think he works for it, he really does, is that we saw United as... Uh, an on-the-ball entity and an off-the-ball entity. Kind of the two things you want to see. And it shows that the off-ball work, if you get that right, the on-ball stuff gets easier. Yeah, so that's how it was yesterday. And this is why Veghorst and Anthony are both so important to this system because they press, they intercept, they do that work, Scott. And when that isn't there for whatever reason, whether it's Veghorst at the 10 or maybe Anthony's not on the pitch or whatnot, United are not as good a team. So last night, United off the ball in the second half got it right. They they occupied all the correct areas when they got the ball. They were decisive in their creativity. Yes, they didn't score those goals, but as you said, it could have been seven. So that would have been a good headline, wouldn't it? If they had got mm-hmm. seven, we could have like gone, oh, 
you know, seven seven on aggregate from the last game, maybe. But I actually think it was more important just to have a good performance and take that lead back to Spain now when we go and play Betis in the second leg. It's probably good for the players' confidence as well. Totally. Um, obviously, Ten Hag making sure that he picked the same eleven that started the game at Anfield. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned he made changes at halftime. He needed to. Like, let's talk Aaron Wan-Bissaka to start with because uh, that was the change that was made at halftime. And honestly, like, I don't really question Ten Hag's choices, but surely he's got to be making Aaron Wan-Bissaka first choice right back at some point soon. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I'm not sure whether some of this is around maybe some of the political part of the football club about about next season and who's going to stay and who's going and all of this. We're hearing quite conclusively that Manchester United is still open to selling Aaron Wambasaka. So if that's the case, okay, I kind of get it. You're you're keeping Delow. You're going to give Delow maybe a new deal. You want to trigger that, um, and you want him to be the starter, but. The empirical evidence, both statistically and with the eyes, the eye test, shows that Aaron Wambasaka is probably the starter. That's how it goes. So I can see why Ten Hag maybe wants to stick with Delo, but you know, as I said about the tweet I did at Anfield at half time, was that I felt that he had to come off quickly and you had to put Wambasaka on at half time. And we got that in the next match, almost identical. Delo had his moment, you know, to try and try and exert himself in the first half of the game. Didn't quite work. Certainly in that 10-minute spell, as we said, where they lost themselves and became nervous. I think that some of that was in the defensive line and certainly at right back. So what did you do? You got Delo off, you got Wambasaka on. And I thought Wambasaka was fantastic, like driving the ball, inverting. He has been, he has been for he's, weeks. He's done weeks. all of that. So like for me, this is maybe it. So like maybe Ten Hag has got one eye looking forward and thinking, well, this guy, I don't want to carry on developing because I'm going to sell him. And I want to get some money back for him because I want to go and buy jury and timber. Shh, don't tell anyone. Yeah. So, you know, this could be part of it. But I think with, with Wan-Bissaka, and I've given him so much grief over the time he's been at United, bar maybe the first year, um, he's developed brilliantly. I think he's perfect for this system. He inverts well. He's doing all the outside stuff now. He's actually got a cross on him. Like, he's got some, some supply line. And this is what he was at Crystal Palace. So... I want to keep him. I'm like, yeah, keep him, play him. And yeah, still buy Timber in the summer. But maybe it's Delow you show the door because I'm still not convinced about Delow. I know before the World Cup, he was the best right back in the world, according to some. I'm not quite sure he's the best right back at Man United. So let's see what happens there. I think uh, I think Wambasaka deserves his plaudits. And I think he should be starting against Southampton. There is also the case to say that play Wambasaka anyway, even if you do want to sell him. Because it will drive his price up. Yeah, I think the, the issue with that is, though, and we see this with Ten Hag, is that he's not a rotation machine, Eric Ten Hag. He wants to tell the players he wants to keep that he loves them and he wants them in his team. So I think he's giving Delo the chance to prove himself. He's like, you know, you're a good player, Delo. I want you to do this. And then, obviously, against uh, Betis, he's like, no, 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 I've got to cut this now. Probably should have done that at Anfield. That's the truth. And in fact, you could have said before Anfield, Delo might have not started. So... I think there's a lot of that in this, and that's why he sticks with these players. I predicted as well before the game that I thought he'd stick with his team. I really did. I didn't think we'd see Sancho Garnacho because I don't think you need changes. You just need to go and tell the 11 out there, the senior players, go and sort it out, which is what they did in the end. They kind of 
showed their best side in that second half. Uh, but yeah, I think Wamsaka has earned it. I think he should start. And and you look across the football pitch, there's not many positions where that is the case, where you've got maybe this 50-50 juxtaposition. You know, like you're still going to start Luke Shaw over Malassia, aren't you? That's going to be the way it is. So when you look at the positions, I think it's right back one. I think that's probably the biggest quandary. Well, you mentioned Julian Timber. Let's just mention him briefly. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a... He has done an interview this week saying that he will think about his future in the summer and make a decision. Obviously, United and Ten... I think it was Ten Hag's first attempt at signing a player. This Yeah, was. he was. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And as far as we understand, Nighty Min, he... Would, a source said to us, he would take him tomorrow, mm. which kind of tells me that, you know, I, I don't think this one's off the agenda just yet. I don't think the, the right-back centre-back position is the highest priority uh, no. for United to sign. We talked about central midfielders. We talked about centre-forwards in previous shows. And I think that they stand, like, as much as you love watching Valk Vekhorst press players, seeing him miss chance after chance, if you, if you take him out and put Harry Kane in that, <laughs> you know, that is 20 goals. You're better. You're, yeah. you're much better. You, you yes. are. And there's just no, uh, there's no denying that. But Timber is, has played for Ajax, ten, get, got his break under Ten Hag at Ajax in the first team, can play right back, can play centre back, played centre back alongside Lisandro Martinez for mm-hmm. um, the last season, I believe, uh, and looked a hell of a player. Quite short, though. He's not, not a towering centre back, but under I think, six what, foot. yeah, uh, I think what we can see in Timber is you know how much you have to manage Rafa Varane's minutes. Yeah. Harry Maguire comes in and there's a noticeable drop-off. And if you've got a player who can, who Ten Hag knows already, who's young, who can play centre-back and also cover at right-back and do both roles pretty well, you could also play right centre-back as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that Ten Hag will probably use that, but I think uh, Ten Hag would probably look to snap his hand off because if you're going to sell Maguire and Wan-Bissaka goes or if they do... Dallow does end up leaving. I think this player in one position, you can get one player to cover two positions, not need two players. Uh, so we'll see how it goes, right? Yeah, I think that's the thinking as well. Like if you're, you're you're effectively already looking for a buyer for Harry Maguire, I think that's going to happen. And as you said before, like if you get thirty, maybe thirty-five million for for him, you bite. You know, you you bite that hand. You say, yeah, did you see he was that. linked with PSG today? Well, yes, and <laughs> yes, I have. But I also think it's. Um, I think Harry Maguire's future might well be outside of England. I think it might be because... Inter. uh, Yeah, I I think that if you think about what Chris Smalling has done and how Chris Smalling kind of went to Italy and people thought, that's a weird move. Why have you gone there? I I think it's because the football suits him, you know, and I think Harry Maguire could go to Italy or even Spain or or go to, you know, PSG or someone like that. And actually, be a very viable centre back. You know, I think that his skill set suits those foreign leagues more than it suits the Premier League. You know, like in the Premier League, it is about pace, and you've got to have that coverage. And if you don't have that coverage, you get stung. I do worry potentially in the future about having, say, two centre backs under six foot. I don't think that's particularly clever. I think you can get away with one, and I think Martinez is that one. But I think when you look at, at Timber, it's about taking the talent that you can develop, isn't it? So long term option at the right centre-back position, but someone who's really good at right-back as well, gives you that coverage. But I wouldn't be sacrificing Wan-Bissaka for that deal. I'd be sacrificing Lindelof and Maguire. So Lindelof and Maguire, you probably get 50 million out of the two with a bit of change. That's okay. Take that 50 million from those two, 
go chuck it at Ajax with a little bit more and find your way into buying that player. But yeah, Timber's a great young talent. Um, I think he may be regretting turning Manchester United down. He took it on the advice of Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal he actually, also... actually said afterwards that Louis van Gaal did not tell him not to go there. Yeah, he said that. But I think I know. probably I think he was probably told to say that. So you know, I think I think the thing is Louis Van Gaal. We we know conclusively that he told Eric Ten Hag not to come to Manchester United. I think anyone Dutch basically tells them not to come to Man United. I think Malassia probably got told that as well. Malassia might be thinking, mm, don't should probably shouldn't have come this year. I'm not playing games. I want to play games, but we'll see about that. So um, of course he's Dutch, but he came. So there we go. So I just think it's um, I think with Timbo, someone we will be talking about in the weeks ahead, and I think he will be one of those. Those, don't want to say it now, but nailed on signings. Like, I really do think that he'd like to come to United. Ten Hag loves him. He loves Ten Hag. It's kind of a Martinez Anthony situation again, where they they are Ten Hag people. And and I think Timber will see it as a big opportunity if he comes to a rebuilding Manchester United, who are now back in the Champions League. Say next year, fingers crossed. Don't jinx it, Rob. But you're getting to where you want to be without Timber, and you'll be a better team with Timber in it. So, uh, yeah, I can see him coming to Manchester United in the very near future. Man United's progress to Ajax, of, at the Ajax of England, uh, <laughs> could also step up with Mohamed Kudus, who we've spoken about before. There, there, From what I understand, there is real interest there. And I know that people have said that uh, Ten Hag didn't really use him that much when he was manager of Ajax. But I think from what I what we're understanding, he really does like him. He's played centre forward a lot this season. Uh, uh, oh, he did use him. Maybe not in the starting lineups, but mm. he was involved in the squad. And the whole idea was to develop him to be able to play this season. And I think, again, when we're talking about strikers, like it's obvious, isn't it, to go to Kane, and we'll talk more about Harry in the future. It's obvious to go to Osman because he scores all the goals. But you're going to be looking, I think, at the marketplace and much more broader and wider way about what kind of centre forward you can go and get. Kudos has been brilliant this season, like he really, really has. And I think he's shown that he might be ready for that next step up. Kind of Premier League ready already for me. He's that kind of player, I think, that will do really well in our league. Um, and, and again, a kind of, it's not a difficult one. Like it really isn't. A bit like Timber. You know, the talent is there. So can you develop them and get them at the price that works for you? You know, because not every, you can't buy everyone, Scott, who's 150 million. Like, no fans want that, but you can't do Osman in every position. You might be able to if you're owned by Qatar, but that's not a football way of looking at a project for Ten Hag, is it? He knows there are players that are going to have to go out the door for him to be able to sign new talent. Just trying to think of how many more Ajax players they could end up signing. But um, I think the important thing is, if you do want one of these players, do it early on. <laughs> in the summer not don't leave it like you left Anthony last year I think a lot of it is happening already like I think a lot of these things like the timber thing that conversation has gone on and it was we'll come back in a year and, he, and I think he now probably feels better that Manchester United are in a better place and that he would get minutes at a club that are in the Champions League I get why he didn't want to do it because he wanted to play at the World Cup I do understand that. So, um, yeah, a lot of these players, you ca- you could probably get these ones done earlier, couldn't you, rather than going late into the window where you might have to do it for some of the talent that you're chasing. Yes. Uh, Timber, also of interest to the likes of Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, a couple yeah. of clubs in the Premier League as well. So United won't have it all their own way, but I think Bayern are the one to really worry about. Uh, but there's a lot of things that could pull Timber to United and we'll see if they follow up on their interest. There's one big thing. 
There's mm. one big thing. That's the manager. And it does make a difference. It did with Martinez. He could have gone to Arsenal. He could be top of the league now, Scott, in that team. But he came to United and I don't think he regrets it. I think he's very happy. Yes. Uh, we'll see how that one progresses. You can read that story on nightmen.com uh, if you would like. Now, let's go back to the game because we digressed a little bit. I know you want to talk about Bruno Fernandes because you always want to talk about Bruno Fernandes in every show, as the comments seem to point out. <laughs> uh, bit of a redem- redemption arc for Bruno last night. Could have been sent off um, if you are... Well, I'm, for me, it wasn't a red card, but you know how it goes. You you do that still, and then you're like, outrage tweet. Why wasn't he sent off? He's a disgrace. His parents should be ashamed. <laughs> uh, but he was he was he had a really good performance. He was brilliant, and and this is it. Like I think when Bruno is your attacking fulcrum, great. You know he's great at making United tick and creating in the final third and doing all of that. I think the most important kind of part of that game, and it was a kind of bounce back performance by all the lads. But I think with Bruno, is that the surprise of the night was to see Bruno play the number eight. So. Bruno is the number eight for Portugal, isn't very good and gets pulled most of the time, you know, when he's the eight and Ronaldo's up further up the pitch. Um, and that's a problem for him. He's played number eight plenty of times before in the past, but we've always kind of thought that's not not for him at Manchester United. But yesterday's number eight, again, Ten Hag doesn't want to play him as the 10. That's not a narrative. He's just not playing the 10 recently. What do you do with him? As the number eight, you say, Scott... He gave you all that work rate that Bruno Fernandes does do. We know that. He's a he's a he's a mover. He doesn't, you know, he's never still. He's always looking for the ball and moving into positions. But yes, as the eight and playing the Ericsson role, as I call it, he had much more time on the ball to be able to turn. Now that's really important because that means he doesn't lose the ball as much. So he was playing, I think, almost coming off up to Casemiro, taking the ball off the number six and turning the ball and then having all of the pitch in front of him and allowing United to move into positions and into the channel and exploit the wider areas. And he was great. He was fantastic. And that's the Bruno Fernandes I want to see. What did I say on the last show? Go prove me wrong, Bruno. And I want that. I want Bruno to play well because I want Man United to win. And I want Bruno Fernandes. If he's going to be the star, Scott, go put in superstar performances. That performance last night in midfield was fantastic. And it gives Ten Hag now another option, doesn't it? Because Bruno can play that eight and you've got tons of talent in that top half of the pitch in the final third that you want to rotate round. You've still got to find a home for Jaden Sancho eventually. There's Garnacho to come into the team. You've got options at 10. Christian Eriksen will be back soon. He could probably play the 10 and Bruno's playing the eight. So you've got this to come and it's really, really good. So congratulations to Bruno. I thought, I thought his overall play was outstanding yesterday in that final third, but it was because he had time and space to move from a midfield role forward. It, the goal was his fault. No offence, it was. He didn't cover that left side. That was his job. And he got there too late. You see him go, <gasps> and he runs back. And Luke Shaw went absolutely nuts after the goal and was like, damn, what are you doing? But that's okay. It was a mistake. It's not the end of the world. It would have been the end of the world if he drew 1-1. But you go up, then you've got, you've got another an hour of football to go and fix it, haven't you? It's okay. It's football. So I'm not going to kind of split hairs about that because that's just one moment and he'll learn that a little bit more as a number eight. Christian Eriksen would have made that mistake. No doubt about it. He would have done. He has done this season. But I thought Bruno, front foot, passing, all of that, absolutely delicious. And that's what we want to see from Bruno. 
must have been a tough week for obviously it's been a tough week for everyone involved uh with united tough week yeah. for the supporters um tough four days or whatever but mm. especially for bruno the, the the way that every every single person seemed to react to mm. how he showed himself at anfield must be a difficult few days for him i think not that i was there last night but from what i feared the the fans really gave him a nice reception when his name was called out in the starting lineup and lovely for him to get a goal as well i think um that would be a that's a nice kind of end point to close the chapter for the for this week yeah totally and look it, it, old trafford's always going to give him a good reception. We don't boo our players like that. We don't demonise our players. We support our players at Old Trafford. It's really important, you know. To, 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 Old Trafford is not a living embodiment of Twitter. Like, it just isn't. It's a different world. So, you know, that, that isn't a comment about match day fans and non-match day fans. So people don't get in my comments on that because I know you always do. So I, I think when you look at Bruno and, and what he is, there's always going to be parts of his game that are not particularly popular and maybe show the worst side of Bruno Fernandes. But there's plenty of upside for Bruno, and he's got to prove himself in his midfield now. So if he's not play, being played as the 10, for whatever reason, you have to ask Ken Hag that, you can't ask any of us, then then I think probably the eight now gives you more of an option with Bruno because it does give him that little bit more time in the ball, and you could probably do with an eight. Interesting to United go 4-3-3 three, three with Fred and Bruno as eights, so not 6-8-10, not which is what we normally play, but 2 eights. And then seeing Fred tasked as a guy to get forward to support Veghorst in the press. Interesting. Plays into Fred's hands that as well. That's what Fred's good at, isn't it? Bit of an energy game. Also keeps Fred out of the midfield, who maybe is not as good on the ball and was shown that at Anfield. So for Bruno, it's about time and space. So I think we'll see him as playing as a number eight more and more now this season because whatever reason, he's not playing the 10. And you're going to play Anthony on the right, aren't you? You've not bought Anthony to drop him out of the team so you can play Bruno Fernandes on the right. Like Bruno playing on the left at Anfield was a bad choice, I think, for all of us, and it showed with the result. You don't want to drop a Rashford out of there, do you, to accommodate Bruno Fernandes? That doesn't make sense. So I think the selection, even if it's the same players, the tactics made much more sense and were highly successful on the night. Why do you think we've not seen Bruno in that role so far? What, the the eight? Because mm. I think, the, again, the evidence shows that uh, for Portugal, and going back, say pre-Ten Hag era, so into the Ole era and whatnot. He played the eight all the time for Portugal in that, in that period when he was scoring goals for us and was our number <laughs> 10 and getting incredible metrics in the box. And yet Portugal was still playing as number eight. And he used to get hooked, Scott, after 60 minutes in every match, every friendly match, Bruno would get hooked from the number eight. Bruno, in years gone by, has not been a very good number eight. You need a coach that gives him, I think, clear directives they had that last night. So I think that's the reason why. This is why Ericsson ended up coming to the football club and going from being a 10 by tradition and playing the 8-6 role, which is not what he's ever done. Did it at Brentford for a spell, but that's not who he is. So it's about finding the right role, I think, within the 11. And I think for Bruno now, like if, for whatever reason, Tenog doesn't want to play him at 10. That's that's something to answer as we go along. I think Bruno playing as the eight gives him space and also still allows him to get forward. If you're an eight, you're a box to box. Your job is to do the defensive work, but also get forward. We're going to be talking about box to box midfielders a lot in weeks to come. We talked about Declan Rice in the last show. So this is a thing, something that the 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Manager will be thinking about. Well, I think if you're looking to solve not the Bruno Fernandez problem, it's not a problem, it's a good problem, but it's to find a place on the pitch for him where he can be at his most devastating, but at the same time mitigating his weaknesses. And I think being close to Casemiro stops that weakness of losing the ball. It does because Casemiro is kind of looking after you and you're getting the ball off him five yards and it's not 10 or 15 yard passes where the ball goes under your foot and it's like a brick. So let's see. I think that this is why we've not seen that. And I think it was just a good a good excuse after Anfield with all the problems that we saw to do that against Betis because Betis are a team that like to play out. So if you can stop them at source. Like I sent you some figures for Bruno there. I think he had eight interceptions from midfield yesterday, reclaimed the ball eight times. That's outstanding. That's world-class metric for a central midfielder. So uh, I, I said a lot there, but I, th- I do think that Bruno Fernandes as a number eight at Man United could work. I'm not sure it's your long-term solution, but certainly in the next games, certainly against Southampton, I think we might see it again. One word you did say during that was weakness um, mm. or weaknesses. And yeah. we have to talk about one, David De Gea. Um this is very divisive. This this issue is very divisive, especially on the socials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's frustrating. It, it frustrates me. I know mm-hmm. that um, we're talking about obviously his his ability with the ball at feet. There was a yeah. couple of examples last night where his distribution could have been far better than it was. I think one yep. he shanked into uh, over the touchline, and there was another one he just gave straight to the opposition, nearly caused a ch- caused a chance. Um, De Gea is out of contract, obviously, in a few months' time. Everybody knows United are talking to him about mm-hmm. extending his deal, but on reduced terms because he's on around £375,000 a week, which is just insane. Yep. Um, and that needs to be addressed. But as far as we know, that that's the way it's going to go, and they, they will agree that. Um, but for me, as, as good as David De Gea is as good a great a servant as he has been. And I think he's had a good season as well. Uh, still makes a lot of saves, has made a couple of mistakes as well. But there, there seems to be a clamor to keep him on reduced terms, which I completely understand. But also at the same time, if you're looking at this longer term, it doesn't strike me as Eric Ten Hag's favored first choice keeper because of his lack of ability with the ball at feet. He's had a few months to train it. These happen. This this happens quite frequently still, um, and for me, I'm looking at it now. It's been what 11, 12, 12 years. Mm. Old Trafford. You're not going to be able to shift him for money in a few years' time. It's either you you sign him to this contract now, and he's pretty much here for the rest of his career, 
uh, I would think, or until if he eventually gets phased into number two. I can't see how that's going to work, though. I think he's going to want to play every week. And for me, there's just a time ahead where United have a perfect opportunity to amicably part ways and move on with a keeper that Ten Hag, I think, feels has all the attributes that he wants. That may be controversial. And probably there's some people who agree with me. There's probably other people who are quite angry at something like that happening. But what's your take on it, Rob? It's not controversial at all, Scott. Like, David De Gea will never be a sweeper-keeper. We know this. But I do think there are two or three maybe more balanced ways of looking at some of this. So let's look at it like this. If you have a da- da- David De Gea in your goal this year, you're not in the top four. Simple as that. David De Gea has still saved Man United multiple times this year. He's saved them more times than he's given the ball away at feet. That's the truth. So you're right. It's frustrating when David De Gea shanks went into the stands. And of course, everyone straight away goes, oh, he's not Edison. He's not Allison." Okay, again, the metrics kind of show that those two goalkeepers give the ball away plenty, even though they are sweeper keepers. So there's that there's that fact. I also agree, and we do know this, that Eric Ten Hag does want a sweeper keeper at some point. You know, he's looking at that. I think it's more now about your your smoothness of transition. You just said there, like if you sign David De Gea to a new contract, he won't have a he won't have a sell-on value. I disagree with that. I think if you sign David De Gea to a three or four-year contract at reduced terms and try and sell him in the open market in 12 months' time, you're going to get takers. You just will. It, David, but that, he's still, that depends he's, on how reduced those terms are because from what yes. I've heard, is looking at 200k a week and that's still way too big for it, other clubs it, to take. Yes and no, because I think that when you look at the way the Premier League has exploded in its finances in in recent years, if someone took a David De Gea and that would take them from 10th to 5th, or even any of the leagues did that, and you know it would be too much for the Italian league, the Spanish league, wouldn't be too much for PSG if they wanted him. So there are there are options for him, and I think that's where the long game comes with this, is you can either take this asset and let him go, and go right, you know, as you said, amicably shake hands. And then he goes to another club and for the next two or three years is the best goalkeeper in the world with his hands. Might not be with his feet, but another club might find a way to mitigate that issue. So I do think you need a sweeper keeper. But I think probably the smart way of doing this is that you need to look at your wider squad. You're going to spend a ton of money on a striker. You're going to spend maybe money on a number 10. You're maybe going to spend money on a right back and a right centre back. And those are much more priority positions, I think, in the short term than David De Gea at the moment. It's probably smart to get De Gea, buy a sweeper keeper you can develop, who's you can integrate into your team, maybe a young goalkeeper, 20, 21, 22, and then you have a transition of power over one or two years. And that quells everything. You've still got your goalkeeper that makes all these heroic saves, but then you've got a sweeper keeper to bring in, who maybe when you want to play out from the back, there's a lot of people that feel that you can't have a football club with two first-choice goalkeepers or two goalkeepers that you 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 let in and out the team. It's rubbish. It does happen across Europe. You do sometimes have that. That's how it goes. Does everyone remember Louis van Gaal doing that for Holland, where he'd have one goalkeeper for one game and bring the other? Different for international football, I get that. But I do think that the idea should be that David De Gea plays less minutes next year if he stays at the club. Not, not what he's doing at the moment. He's playing too much. But you're having to play him, aren't you? Because you've just let your other goalkeeper go. Henderson, you know, he's gone He's gone to uh, Nottingham Forest. So I think that's the balancing point with this debate here, is that it's not controversial to say that Manchester United needs a sweeper-keeper. I think the bit is, how quickly do you just do it? Do you just let him go out the door? 
he does have value, Scott. He's been brilliant this year. Like, he really has. He's kept United in that top four when that back four has been shaky. Not at Anfield, of course. I think overall, he's earned that deal. 200 grand in the modern game still sounds like a lot of money. But we're seeing guys signing for clubs like Wolves on similar deals now. It's not, they're not a million miles off it, you know, in 150s, 200s. And maybe with that, with David De Gea, that's how you do it. You find a market for him in a year or two, say he doesn't want to stay or you don't want to keep him after that period. And maybe you could sell to upgrade in other positions. I think that's the bigger thing here. It's kind of like, it's too easy just to have fire sales, just to say, yeah, you will go and we'll just bring in new players and that will work. You might buy a sweeper keeper that's absolute garbage, Scott. You might, might, might cost you games, might be brilliant on the deck, but can't save anything. And that's the balancing point here. I'm not sure. There's not loads of goalkeepers on the market. I was going to put it to you, Scott, because I know that the De Gea thing is a bugbear for you. Who would you go and sign for Manchester United next season? Well, this is the thing. I completely agree with what you've said about a 21, 22-year-old goalkeeper who can come in yeah. and do that job. Mm-hmm. A lot. There's a lot of conditions on this for me. Like If, if it's a two-year, two-year deal with De Gea, Okay, I, I understand that. But if you go in any longer, uh, I think you're entering problem territory. And from what I understand, I know we mentioned Diogo Costa in the show before. He has a release clause of 70-odd million euros, which I don't think United are going to trigger this summer unless uh, things change dramatically, which which could happen um, with the takeover. The one that I'm looking at at the moment that is mooted for this is David Raya from Brentford. He's 27. Mm-hmm. We've seen, like, bef- before, when, when Dean Henderson was coming back from his loan deal at Sheffield United, I think it was, and I thought yeah. you can... I, I For me, I think you need one. Uh, mm-hmm. le- it, leave a comment as well. If you, where, where do you stand on this? Because Rob thinks you can get two. I think you need one. If you sign David Raya and make them compete, Nobody's going to be happy. You look at Kalo Navas at PSG and Donnarumma at PSG. Mm-hmm. Donnarumma's fallen off a cliff since that, that's happened this season, since Navas has left. But that was not a good relationship. When Navas was on the bench, he was coming out in the press saying, it's ridiculous, I'm not playing. Donnarumma was the same because he wasn't automatic first choice straight away. I think you're just going to fo- find yourself in, an, in a situation you, you can avoid completely. Um, I think ideal scenario for me really is that you do find a, a 21, 22 year old goalkeeper, goalkeeper who can long term take the gloves off to here. But I don't see who that person is at the moment. So that, no. that's where you have to rely on United scouting team. And for yeah. everything that I've heard at the moment, David Raya is the one that it could be. And if that is the case, you have the same problem that you had with Dean Henderson. <laughs> uh, and Dean Henderson is still there. You've got to sell him as well. So. Yeah. I don't know how it works out, but David Raya is the one that I think United might try for. Mm-hmm. Um, Diogo Costa is the one I'd pick long-term, ideal, blue skies scenario. Yeah, and, and, and I think that they're all very good goalkeepers. Raya's a very good goalkeeper. I think, again, when we talk about upgrading, you, you kind of have to think about what you really, really want. So, yes, we do want a goalkeeper that can sweep from the back. We want that going forward. Is it priority number one, two, three, four, or five? I, I think as it stands at the moment, no, it's not any of those top five priorities. And that's probably why De Gea will get a new contract. And that's why you might go and look to go and buy a goalkeeper that you can develop. Because if you're taking a 21-year-old, he doesn't demand to start. He's someone that you can bring in and and take them forward. Think about when David De Gea came to Man United. He was 18, 19, 20. You know, he's in that kind of age group, wasn't he? And 
he did have a games where where he didn't play well and found it difficult, dropped out, then was brought back in. You could develop him over time a little bit more. Different situation, of course. But I think when you look at these goalkeepers that are on the cusp, you know, there's a big question about whether Araya could could step up to Man United. Like, yeah, two good years at Brentford. This is a different world. This is not. This is now. You make one mistake at Man United, you're dead. You know, David De Gea kicks the ball in the stands and a thousand words is written about it, Scott. Whereas, like, you know, Edison does it and no one blinks because he's good with his feet. So there's 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 other narratives here that I think we must be careful of, certainly as journalists and as fans, about what we're seeing. I, I share your frustrations with what De Gea is on the deck. But I feel I'm like not, it's been overblown from. Yeah, I'm not going to overlook what I'm not going to overlook his body of work this year. Yeah, he's been one player in, who's absolutely earned his stripes this year. And I thought De Gea would be one of the first players out the door when Ten Hag came because Ten Hag would want a sweeper keeper. And even Ten Hag's gone in publicly. Yeah, I didn't realize how great David De Gea was until he was my goalkeeper, and now I realize. And he's talked about De Gea a lot. The other side of it, of course, is the leadership side of it. So. De Gea is a leader in the dressing room. And if you get rid of another leader, you're going to have to bring another leader in. Of course, that's part of the evolution at Man United. But I think with De Gea, yeah, go find your goalkeeper. But but I'm not too worried about goalkeepers getting a bit upset in the press with each other. I don't care about that. Get on the training pitch and prove you're the number one. That's what you do. And then when you get a game, you prove you're number one. We don't say this about other positions. So why is it different with goalkeepers? I don't get it. Goalkeepers don't have a different ego to your centre forwards. The, the reason don't. why is because other players can generally play in more than one position. Correct. Whereas goalkeepers have one. But 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 we but but saying that, but that's not actual reality, is it? You do mix and match, you do drop players, but quite often a player is a specialist. So they play in a specialist role or you try and bring them out of their shells differently. You're right, goalkeepers have only got a goalkeeper opportunity. But when we talk about playing on the deck, if Man United look after the ball better at the back with the back four and with De Gea, you can mitigate those issues. You can. You just can't maybe play out as smoothly as you want, but it is a long-term goal. You've got to try and fix it in the long term. And I think when you're looking at kind of renewals and stuff like that, it's like, it was just about Delo. You know, only a few weeks, months ago, everyone was saying he was the best right back in the world. You had to re-sign him and all this. A few weeks forward... We're going Aaron Wan-Bissaka's better than him and we're not sure whether he'll even stay at the club now, Delo. That's how weird football can be. So you've got, I think, have a broader spectrum of these, these problems, how to solve them. And and contracts are part of that. So I, I'm not going to be against De Gea staying. De Gea's only just in his 30s. He could play Scott till he's in his late 30s just because of the way he plays. He could be a footballer at the highest level for another six, seven years. So I don't think, I don't buy into this one or two year thing because I think he's going to be at the top level somewhere for till he's 37, 38. That's what goalkeepers do now. Goalkeepers stay in the game for a long time. They stay physically healthy and unless they get injuries or problems, they carry on playing. I think De Gea is still a cornerstone that you could build in your squad doesn't mean that David De Gea would always be your starter. That would depend if he was happy with that. If he's not happy with that, I think he would be. Shake it. No, but I, he's much happier in England now than he's ever been. Like he really is. Like going back to the Real Madrid side when he was potentially going back there, all those issues that were there maybe at that time have vanished and he's really keen to stay in Manchester. So I look at that and I think, okay, let's see where you go from there. You'd have to say to De Gea, yeah, if you sign this contract, you're not definitely the number one. 
you have to get better with your feet. You've got to be tasking him. But of course, we know he's never going to be a great sweeper keeper. But can he get better with his feet? I think he can. I think this year he has been better with his feet than he was last year and the year before. So those incremental improvements might not be there for fans. But I think for Ten Hag, he's been quietly happy with what De Gea's returned. Anyway, I, I feel like the way that that conversation went makes it seem as though I'm far more frustrated with that than I am. I, but I'm I feel the same about Bruno. Like, it's, the, it's like yeah. me with Bruno. It's like you and De Gea. Like you, it's a bugbear more than it is like, yes. it's like, I don't hate David De Gea. You know, you don't, do you? You don't hate De Gea, but it's a bugbear. It's saying like Bruno, you know, I don't want Bruno to give the ball away and we to concede a goal. No, thank you. So it's that kind of level, isn't it? And I think all fans have that. So, you know, I, I'm with you, Scott. I support you in that. I think you're right. I don't think it's controversial at all to say that Manchester United need to explore the sweeper-keeper market. It's just who do you go and get? David De Gea will be in goal uh, on Sunday for yeah. Man United versus Southampton at Old Trafford. And yeah, we are expecting uh, at some point that, that he will sign an extension to his contract. And I'd rather have David De Gea at our football club than someone who's got an attitude that stinks like Dean Henderson. There you go. I'm going to say it out there. That's what I prefer. I think that's how you build a squad with good personalities with it. Yeah, there's always the skill factor in it. Dean Henderson's a very skilled individual. But like all of the players that have left recently, Scott, who've all got big gobs and gone on about it. Well, where are they now? Man United are in the top four and are a better team. So get rid of Dean Henderson, get the price, whatever you think. Go buy another goalkeeper who's got a good attitude and will fight for his place because I think that's the prerequisite of any good football club, that you fight for your place. Nothing should be handed to you. I do wonder how much they can get for Dean Henderson. Um, it's gone down and down and down, isn't it? Well, like, he's, it's like Man United share price. Saved a few penalties this season. Young English goalkeeper, you know... Premier League clubs, there's a lot of clubs who want a goalkeeper. He's a Premier League standard goalkeeper. His attitude stinks. It's just the end of that. Yeah, he will play somewhere. But if he doesn't play games, he's going to cry. And he says, oh, you know, I um, this wasn't supposed to be a, a, a Dean Henderson diatribe. But Dean Henderson said, oh, you know, I should have left X, Y and Z. Well, there were reasons. There were reasons why you weren't playing. And when you did play, you weren't brilliant. So, you know, he should have been a better goalkeeper on the deck than David De Gea. And I think he would actually suit the manager quite well, our current manager. But your attitude's bad. Go somewhere else. He actually said, didn't he? I didn't want Ten Hag to see me play because he might have kept me. Like, go on. Just get out the football club. You don't need footballers like that, whether they're goalkeepers or superstars. You didn't need a Ronaldo like that, did you? You need the players that conform. Just looking at uh, what the latest is on Dean Henderson's future, the United will sit down for talks with him. He's 25 years old. But anyway, let's let's move to Southampton uh, because that is the next job uh, for Man United to take care of. Mm-hmm. Are they bottom of the league? I know they, they have been. They have been. I know they have been for sure. Let kind me of slowly that. on the creeping rise with the new manager. They are 19th in the league on goal difference uh, from Bournemouth. 21 points so far this season. They did win at Chelsea a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, Chelsea are not great, but they some signs of a revival there. But Southampton, this this should be for Man United another one of those games that you just right get the job done and you should win. But they do have James Ward Prowse. I was just about to mention James Ward Prowse. I think I think that is the key here. Is obviously. 
don't give silly set pieces away and don't allow War Prowse to influence the match because he will do. If you give set pieces away in the final third, his delivery is probably right up there with the elite in Europe, isn't it? He's one of the best deliverers of the ball around. Um, but that's it really, isn't it? I think the problems that Southampton present and obviously the team fighting for their lives is that you've got to go with that whole mentality of the minnow and make sure that they don't come to Old Trafford and punch you in the mouth if you're a little bit lackadaisical. So United just need to carry on doing what, what we saw at Betis in the second half, isn't it? It's just to make sure the energy is there and the quality is there. If you do that, you're going to win this game. If you don't do that, you might not win it. Isn't football simple? So I think United, it's a... Um, Southampton got a new coach, a slightly tweaked system. What they are and always have been is a really hard-working team. I think the last year or two, they've always had the best metrics for uh, travel on a football pitch. They've always travelled the most more than any other team. So it shows that they worked hard. They did that under Hasselhuel. They always, they always worked hard, but they lost games. So I don't mind if they work hard against Man United. It just means United have to match that. United have to match that desire and that work rate because Southampton are going to come for their day, aren't they? A 1-0 win at Old Trafford would be the best day of the season for them. For us, it's supposed to be a regulation match, but you still need that win now, don't you? Going into the final part of the season, you need to win these games at Old Trafford and you need to win them well. You destroyed your goal difference at Anfield with that 7-0. You now need to rebuild it in this kind of match. They have won two of their last three, winning at Chelsea, mm. losing at Leeds, all 1-0s, uh, and beating yeah. Leicester in their last game. Uh, but this is... I'm sure we'll see a similar team to what we saw on Thursday night. And this is a job that they just got to get done. And maybe if there is an opportunity for rotation at all or to rest players, there's an international break coming up as well, actually. So I don't know how Ten Hag will approach these games coming forward, but I think Newcastle are next weekend yeah. away. Uh, so you would ideally like to have as fresh... Oh, it's not Newcastle, is it? Is it the FA Cup, I think? FA Cup, yeah. FA Cup against Fulham. Fulham. Yeah, uh, I d- yeah. I don't think he's going to rotate at all. Not at all. I wouldn't rotate. Not at the moment. And that's the thing is that there is always this quandary about whether you rotate, keep your players fresh. The best game, by the way, I'm talking about. Yeah, I I think the best game, you've got an opportunity now, haven't you, to maybe let Garnacho start, Sancho start, kind of tweak things. I still think the big point for me, Scott, and it will be, I think, to the end of the season, it's not going to get solved before a transfer window opens, is that Veghorst doesn't score you the goals but you are worse without Veghorst in the press. Just simple. Veghorst is not your number nine. Other functions in the team from midfield forward do not work in the press. We've seen too much evidence for that. Anfield was the classic one where Veghorst wasn't leading the press and you were garbage. So that's my worry, you see. And that's why I was so happy last night with Veghorst getting his goal, because that will give him confidence. This is a player who's in his career been a kind of two out of three guy in terms of scoring goals. So, you know, he, he, he can score goals, but we've seen that he struggled in the Premier League, isn't he? He struggled to put the ball in the net. I think maybe that's anxiety, some of it. You know, like you even saw it last night where he scores a goal relief. With his- he scores that goal with his chest and it's offside and you're kind of like, that's a typical kind of dirty goal, isn't it? And then it gets given offside. And then he had another one where he just had to kind of slip it in wide at the front at the near post and it was an amazing block. Like it's in the it's in the net otherwise. And he could have had a hat-trick last night and we'd be having a different conversation, wouldn't we? So football's always about as fine margins. But I think in Southampton, we just talked about how hard they work. You can't tweak that in that front line. If you put Rashford at the top, Rashford will not work as hard as Veghorst, and you'll lose that balance. You need to keep that balance of the front four, 
in central midfield and the back four. You're not going to say, oh, all right, let's give him a last year game today. Not going to happen. I think the only change you might see in the starters is that Wan-Bissaka is the starter at right back, which is what I'd hoped last night. And that Delo comes out because I don't think Delo is a viable starter at the moment. I think he's miles off. Um, and then the rest of the team kind of picks itself, don't you think? Yeah. And what I would, what I was going to tweet at kickoff last night is that is pretty much the first 11. Yeah. If, if we, we've kind of found it now and you can exactly see the positions where United need to upgrade. So you're talking about veg horse, maybe Fred is a, a, a possible upgrade mm. and then you've got right back as well. And obviously we'll come to goalkeeper whenever, uh, yeah. Whenever they, they do end up doing that. But it, it's what Ten Hagi is getting to. He's getting to a point where he has an 11 that he trusts. I know trust this week is a difficult word to say after getting battered 7-0 at Liverpool. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's given them the trust to go and put it right in that Betts game last night. And they did a good job of it. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a clear plan, you know, unravel in front of us, aren't we? Is that, as you said, these, there are players that have taken their opportunities, there are players that haven't. And you're kind of seeing the ones that will be here next year now, no matter what, whether it's the newer players or some of the existing squad. You know, there are choices to be made about some of them, like Fred might not play as many games next year. If you go and buy central midfielder, that's just normal. We talked a lot about the number 10, about what you do with that. And does, where does Bruno play on the pitch? But you're right. I think we're seeing... I said this, I think, last week or the week before. You're seeing a core of around 14 players now that are potential starters in every match. But the first 11 kind of picks itself and then it's just tweaking here and there. And I think that's how Ten Hag likes to do it. That's how he was at Ajax. That's how he's always been. And I think he's applying those series here at, at Old Trafford. And I'm good with that because I think it's better to have enough on the bench as well to change games. Like people will say, oh, play your best 11. Well, yeah, of course, play your best 11. But you've got to have something up your sleeve, you know, and having a Garnacho up your sleeve, yeah, great. I know people want him to start on the left and that means Rashford will have to go into middle. That means Veghorst comes out your team. But you know what? You're going to be crap at pressing. Like just, you can't do these things. You have to have the balance. So I know that people see it in a different way but you you can't just go by talent you've got to have a team haven't you and I think he's got a team now that does all of the kind of dirty work generally not Anfield keep having to say that but elsewhere the season he said it yesterday before the match he's trusted his players because 2023 20, 24 25 games they've been really good as a unit and they took that into the Betis game and they've now got to take it into the Southampton game that is on Sunday. We will be back after the Southampton game, whatever the result, hopefully a 2-0 win, as I said. But I'll take another 4-1. I'd just like yeah. United to start keeping clean sheets again after shipping so many. 6-0, I want. 6-0. 6-0 win. Rebuild that goal difference. <laughs> they did win this game 9-0 a few years ago. I know. So, well, I, I, remember I, would that. T- I would take that again. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes and watch us Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube twice a week as well. Like, subscribe, join the community. Yeah, please subscribe on YouTube as well. By the way, if you haven't already, uh, we would very much appreciate it. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. As for today's show from Rob and from me, thanks very much. Do you actually want to have the final word, Rob? No, 6-0. I just, I just want, do you, do you know what? You just got to get back to the habit of winning after that horrific day in Liverpool. So um, I think that, I think we saw enough against Betis to say we should feel better about Manchester United.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.